Well, my name is Chris. If you happen to be new, I'm one of the pastors here. We are in a sermon series called Hope in Exile through the first uh, letter of Peter. And so if you have a Bible at home, and I hope you do, go ahead and grab that, open it up on your device, and head for 1 Peter chapter 3. 1 Peter chapter 3, we're going to be camping out in verses 13 through 17 together this morning. And I want to start our time off together by asking you a question. What is, what is your greatest fear in life? Just kind of, kind of do a little mental exercise. I know we all probably have a, a many fears or multiple fears, but if you were just to kind of narrow it down to, to one or two things that kind of, kind of fill your mind with fear, what, what would that be? What's your greatest fear in life? For me, I think I've mentioned this uh, before, I have, I have several fears, um, but, but a couple that have kind of been with me for uh, as long as I can remember. One is uh, sharks. I, I just think, I, I can't think of a more terrifying way to die than, than being in the water where I can't move or run or get away and this massive beast just coming up and taking nibbles. Like I, it gives me nightmares. So I, I, I'm not a fan of, of sharks, so I have kind of a rule when I go to the beach, uh, kind of knee deep, man, that, that's as deep as I go. Figure nothing too big can swim in that shallow of a water. And, and the other thing that I'm really afraid of is heights. I, I just, I, ever since I was a kid, I don't know why, but I get more than like 10, 15 feet off the ground and I, I just start like trembling a little bit. Uh, I, I, in fact, I remember one time um, I worked all these odd jobs in college and uh, one of the jobs that I worked one summer when I came back home is I got a job with a, a paint crew. And, and so you had the owner, and then you had like, I don't know, three or four college-age guys that, that were helping him out. And we were working on this house. We were painting the exterior of, of this home, and this was a, a three-story home. It was like this old farmhouse. Um, you know, I think it was out in like Madison County or something like that. And um, he had this, the painter had this rickety old uh, wooden ladder, and it, it, was his, it was his tallest one. And so he put that thing up, going up to the very top of that three-story house, and out of all the guys, he looked at me and said, Chris, I want you to get up there and paint the top of the house. And, uh, you know, I, I, was, I was afraid that if I said, no, I, I'm too scared. I was afraid of what my college buddies might think about me. And so I did it. I, I climbed all the way up that ladder, and that thing was literally rattling against the house as I painted what felt like about 300 feet off the ground. But I was so scared to come down because I was afraid what my buddies would think. So I was just sort of encircled, encased by fear. I, I was afraid of the heights. I was afraid of falling. I was afraid if I came down, what my buddies would think about me. I was just absolutely kind of paralyzed by fear. And I think most of us don't even realize it, but our life choices are oftentimes influenced and even driven by our fears. And so we do things in life that we ought not do because we're afraid, and then we also neglect other things in life that we should be doing because of fear. But what if there were an antidote to fear in the Christian life? Well, this morning, Peter is going to tell us that there is, and even more than that, he's going to unpack for us how to live a hopeful life in a hostile world. How to live a hopeful life in a hostile world. Now again, as I mentioned, we're in this series called Hope in Exile uh, through the first letter of Peter. Last week, Peter told us we learned that as Christians, we are called to love one another deeply. I'm just this kind of radical brotherly love in, inside the context of the family of faith. And he also told us last week that we are we actually to bless those who persecute us. We are to, to bless those, to love those outside the faith who mistreat us and wound us. It's just this really radical teaching. And then this week, 
Peter is going to challenge us to respond in a particular way when we suffer for good, right? Now this is, again, suffering is kind of one of these major concepts in this first letter of Peter. In fact, the, the last half of the letter, this, this topic of suffering really dominates most of the rest of his letter. And so this morning, we're gonna look at five verses. Again, not a whole lot, five verses, four truths, and then we're gonna be done. So let's start, First Peter chapter three, beginning in verse 13. This is what the apostle Peter, good friend of Jesus, has to say to us. He says, now, who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? Who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good, or, or good works? Now, Peter here is referring back to what he said over and over again throughout this letter to these Christians who are suffering under persecution. And what he's saying is, live a life of doing good. <laughs> live a life of doing good. Now, I wanna look back to verse 10, which we covered last week, because I think these... These two things are, are kind of intertwined. So look back at verse 10 really quickly. He says this, for whoever desires to love life and see good days, let, his, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. It's just this constant theme throughout this letter. He's saying if you love Jesus, if you're a disciple of Jesus, your life should just reflect this pattern of doing good to those around you, to the world around you. So that's the first truth that I want you to walk away with this morning, Christian. Number one, live a life saturated with good works. Live a life just saturated with good works. We should be a people who are marked by good works, right? We should be a people that are characterized by loving neighbor. We should be characterized, marked by uh, caring for the marginalized in our city, right? The the poor, the orphan, the widow, the refugee, the outcast. We, we treat people with kindness, man. We, we look for ways to bless people, maybe with random acts of kindness. People should just look at the way that we live our lives and think, man, like, what's up with that guy? What's up with her? Why, why, why is she so different? Why does she live her life that way? I was so proud about a week and a half, two weeks ago, I got an email from a, a local government official in town uh, thanking our church because one of our community groups, one of our small groups here at New Life, went to the, the police department, the local police department, and fed the entire department. They put their indiv individual like name tags on all of their things and just treated them with kindness and love and compassion. And they were, they were just blown away by that. I know many of you are in community groups or in serve teams who go and cook and serve the homeless uh, downtown in our city. You do all sorts of good works with our public school systems that we're partnered with. Man, we literally have government officials and school officials who are being impacted and they're sharing their appreciation. We, they are seeing a, a tangible expression of God's kingdom through your good works. I just wanna say praise God for that. Keep up the good work church family. We want, we want more of that. We wanna continue to think of creative ways to, to do good to the world around us, both in our city and around the world. Now, having said all of that, let me just say, uh, if you happen to be new here, or if, if you're tuning in and you're, you're not yet a Christian, you're just kind of exploring the faith, let me just say, uh, we, we don't do good works to earn God's love. All right? there, there's, a, there's an important distinction there. Uh, we, we, don't, we don't do good works to earn anything from God or earn our salvation. Jesus earned all of that for us 
through his perfect life, his atoning death on the cross, and his glorious resurrection. Jesus earned for us what we could never earn for ourselves, right? We don't do good works to sort of uh, ingratiate ourselves to God or, or maybe to put him in debt to us so that he'll have to love us or let us into his kingdom one day. All of that has been accomplished for us on our behalf by Jesus Christ. We have all of that. So now our good works actually are just an overflow of what we already have in Jesus. Do you, do you see the distinction there? That, that's important. But our good works have an important purpose. Look at Matthew chapter five. You don't have to turn there. I'll just read it to you. Matthew chapter five. Listen to the words of Jesus. He says this. Let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works, right? Same concept that Peter's talking about. Let your light shine so that they may see your good works. For what purpose? And give glory to your Father who is in heaven. In Acts, uh, Dr. Luke, the, the author, tells us that Jesus went about doing good. This is kind of a short description of his life on earth. Luke says, Jesus went about doing good. Right? He, he healed people. Jesus fed people. He loved the unlovable, sort of the untouchable, as it were, in that society. Jesus befriended them and ate meals with them and spent time with them. And so, believer, if you're a follower of Christ, let's make sure that our lives are saturated, are characterized by these good works that ultimately point other people in our lives to the kingdom of Jesus. And Peter says, as you live this life, as you live this life of doing good, Who's gonna harm you for that? Like, like who, who's gonna persecute you because you're feeding poor people? Or because you're, you're caring for the sick or the outcast or the marginalized in your school or your workplace? Peter's saying, generally speaking, people are not gonna harm you if you live this way, living a life full of good works. But what happens when they do? In spite of the fact that you're loving Jesus and you're loving others and you're doing good deeds, what happens when persecution or mocking or being excluded, what happens when that still happens? When they see your good works and they still ridicule you or abuse you or persecute you? Well, well Peter tells us in verse 14. Look at verse 14. Peter says, but even if, but even if you should suffer for righteousness sake, and here comes the promise, even if you suffer for righteousness sake, for following Jesus, for doing good works, here's the promise, you will be blessed. You will receive a blessing. And Peter is unpacking this, this sort of upside down truth for us, saying if you suffer for Jesus, if you are persecuted or abused verbally or physically, or if your friends at school mock you, if you lose that boyfriend or that girlfriend because you're following the pathway of Jesus, and if you lose that job, if you suffer in any way for Jesus, here's the promise from Jesus, from the apostle Peter, you will be blessed for that. In other words, Peter goes, and this is really our, our second truth this morning, Peter goes, Christian, embrace suffering as a gateway to blessing. Christian, learn to embrace suffering as a, as a gateway or a pathway to blessing in the kingdom of Jesus. Now, th now this is completely counterintuitive for us in our world today, in our culture today, because we equate comfort with blessing, don't we? We, we tend to equate 
um, our, our physical health with blessing. We tend to equate our, our riches, our material wealth with blessing. We tend to sort of equate suffering with a curse. Or that something isn't quite right in our life. If we're suffering, then maybe, maybe God is angry with me. Maybe he's, maybe he's punishing me. Maybe he's forgotten about me. Maybe he actually doesn't even exist. And Peter's saying, no, 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 no. Believer, that's not the case at all. In fact, I want you to listen to the words of Jesus and the Sermon on the Mount. This will be on the screen for you if you're watching. This is what Jesus says. He says, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake. Again, almost exact verbiage of what Peter was saying. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of God. There's your reward. For theirs is the kingdom of God. It belongs to them. Verse 11 in Matthew 5 says, Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account, Jesus says. Rejoice when that happens. That's our response. When you suffer for doing good, Jesus says, I want you to have joy in your heart. I want you to rejoice and be glad for your reward, Jesus says, is great in heaven. Suffering for good, unbelievably, is actually a gateway to blessing. Now here's the, here's the other thing about suffering. Suffering is also a platform to display the value of Jesus. Suffering can be a platform to display the value of Jesus in our life. Look, it's, it's really easy for us to walk around with a smile on our face when everything is, is going well, right? When you get that, that brand new luxury car that you've been dreaming about, when you've got that, that brand new beach house in, in the Bahamas or whatever it is, you got all that going on for you. It's really easy to walk around with a smile on your face and peace in your heart. But the reality is nobody's gonna wonder when you're driving around in your brand new luxury car on your way to your brand new beach house and nobody's gonna be thinking like, man, tell me, tell me how you get your hope and your love and your joy. Like, I just can't understand how you have so much joy and so much peace in your life. Like, it would be weird if you had all that going on in your life and you didn't walk around with a smile on your face, right? It'd be strange. Nobody's gonna wonder if there's anything supernatural going on. If you're blessed constantly with everything in your life going just exactly the way that you want it to go and you're happy about it, right? It actually would be weird if you weren't happy about it. But when you have that same smile on your face and you have that same hope in your heart, when your body is racked with cancer or when you lose your job or when your spouse leaves you or when a parent dies or when you're driving that busted up 98 Civic that's dripping oil all over the place and you still have that joy in your heart and that smile on your face, that shines a spotlight on the beauty and the value of Jesus in your life because, listen, suffering more than anything else reveals what you value most. We'd like to think that maybe it's the blessings in life or maybe it's the joys in life or the sunny days in life that reveals what we value most. That's not true. It's actually suffering that reveals what you value most in life. And so when a Christian suffers and yet your joy and hope remains, it becomes clear to the watching world that you have something that nothing in this world can ever take away. When that happens, people really do start to ask questions. People, people really do start to wonder, like, man, how, how, can that guy, how can that guy have everything in his life taken away and still live like that? 
<laughs> like, what does what what he have that I don't have? What, what does she know that, that I don't know yet? And look, church family, I'm just telling you, I'm, I'm watching this play out right now. In our church family, many of you are following a story, right? One of our elders, 35 years old, young, young wife, two little boys, is fighting cancer. And in many ways, the world would look at Tyler and say that his life has been stripped of blessing, right? His health, all of his hobbies, the things that he loves to do, his time, even his finances. And I can tell you, after, taking that, after spending some time hanging out with Tyler just a few days ago, I can tell you that his hope is very much alive and well. And do you want, do you want to know why? It's because Tyler's hope is not in his health. And not, not in the ultimate sense anyway. Tyler's hope is not in his, in his wealth. It's not in having all of his hobbies in his life untouched or anything in this life really because his hope is in something that's untouchable. His hope is in a redeemer who has set him free and has promised him an inheritance and a reward greater than anything this world could take away from him, greater than any temporary suffering. See, friend, Tyler... And every other person who loves Jesus has a relationship with God through Christ, following him. We all have a hope beyond the pain of this world. All right, we, in a sense, we are, we, are, we are looking ahead. We are looking forward to the day where we inherit a new heaven and a new earth. Right, in, the, in this kingdom where Jesus promises us that there will, be, there will be no more tears, no more suffering, no, no more cancer. No, no more little kids in Africa dying from starvation. Right? A place with no coronavirus or political feuds in the presence of Jesus forever. That's our hope. And so as a people of hope, whose destiny is hope, we learn to see temporary suffering on this earth as a gateway to a better blessing. And we can learn that we can actually suffer for good. We can suffer for righteousness sake well. And that, my friend, is a compelling apologetic to the watching world around us. Tertullian, one of the great church fathers in the second century, uh, this is what he famously said. He said, the blood of the martyrs, the Christians, the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. I love that. The blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. And what he meant by that is that our suffering for Jesus' sake somehow empowers our message. It doesn't make a whole lot of sense, does it? That's why we call the kingdom of Jesus the upside down kingdom. But something about our suffering for the sake of Jesus actually emboldens and empowers and authenticates our very message. That's what the Roman Empire found to be true. The psychopath Nero, right, Caesar, the more they persecuted Christians and tried to stamp out the movement, the more it expanded and grew. We're finding that out today in modern times in oppressive countries, places like China and Iran. Right? These, these governments are learning that lesson today as the underground church in both of those nations absolutely explodes in the face of persecution and suffering. And Christian, as, as Americans who claim to love and follow Jesus, we too must learn to see and embrace suffering as a pathway to blessing in the kingdom of God. Let's continue on is what Peter is saying in verse 14. He says, but even if you should suffer for righteousness sake, you will be blessed. That's the promise. 
<laughs> Listen to this. He says, have no fear of them, nor be troubled. Don't even be troubled by them. But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy. So here's the third kind of mind-blowing truth that Peter gives us. Number three, he says to these believers who are suffering, who are being persecuted, who are losing everything that they ever knew because they love Jesus and follow him, this is what he says to them. He says, fear nobody. Fear no one. Do you know that one of the most commonly used statements in the Bible is, do not fear. Both Old Testament and New Testament. You just constantly see this refrain throughout the entire uh, message of the scriptures. Do not fear. And here again, Peter is saying, don't fear. Don't fear man. Don't fear people. Don't fear them at all. In fact, he takes it a step further and he says, don't even be troubled by them. They're persecuting you for following Jesus, for doing the right thing, for doing good work. Don't even, don't even be bothered when other people don't like you or persecute you or malign you because of your love for or your allegiance to Jesus. Let me ask you a question. Does it bother you when people don't like you? <laughs> does, it, does it bother you when they don't accept you into their circle of friends because you're different and you have a different worldview and you're living for a different kingdom? Does it bother you when they don't like you, when they exclude you? I have to admit to you that I'm in that camp, man. I don't, I don't really love it very much when people don't like me. It, it kind of bothers me, and so this is, this is a good, I need to hear this. This is a good word for me from the Apostle Peter. I remember um, in, in college, all these odd jobs that I worked, so one of, the, one of the odd jobs that I worked was I worked at a pizza shop on, on campus, and so my conversion experience was uh, my sophomore year in college. It's when I really began to, to follow Jesus um, for the first time, and so I was working at this pizza shop. I had, I had just just begun this relationship with with Jesus, and um, and and so everything in my life was changing, right? Like my my, my friends basically uh, abandoned me at that point in time because I wasn't interested in, in doing the things that they were doing anymore. And uh, this girlfriend that I had for a year, we, we broke up, and so everything in my life was just kind of transitioning. And it was literally just kind of this vulnerable time where, at least in my mind, I was suffering. For following Jesus, I'd kind of lost most everything that was important to me leading up to that point in my life, everything that I thought was important at least. And I remember I, 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 was, I was working at this pizza shop and it was me and this one other uh, classmate, this, this girl. And apparently she had, she had heard uh, that I had follow, started following Jesus, I guess because I wasn't showing up the same places and the same parties I was before. And so she got this kind of this smirk on her face and she kind of looked at me and she said, hey, I heard you became a Christian. And I said, yeah, yeah, that's, that's right, I, I, I did. And, and she just got this really sarcastic look on her face and she said, didn't they used to, didn't they used to feed you guys to lions? You know, she was just, that was her way of like, like mocking my decision to follow Christ. Now, that, that really bothered me in the moment. I really wanted to say, yeah, but you're ugly and you have buck teeth. Now, I didn't say that. I, I, I definitely thought it and I've repented from it and God has forgiven me for that thought. But look, Peter's saying, no, 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 no. Christian, don't fear or even be bothered. Don't even let it bother you that those around you might mock you or exclude you or persecute you for your faith. Have no fear of them. Instead, he says, honor Christ in your hearts. Like your, your love for Jesus, your honor, your reverence for him ought to supersede any earthly fear of men. In other words, replace those thoughts of fear, Christian. 
When those thoughts of fear come into your mind and you think, man, well, what, what if my boyfriend breaks up with me because I won't sleep with him because I wanna follow Jesus? What if I get fired because I, I won't fudge the numbers at work? What if all of my neighbors think I'm really weird and I don't get invited to the, the annual neighborhood barbecue uh, ever again? And Peter's like, listen, don't let any of that bother you. Christian, don't let any of that even trouble you. Don't fear those things. You honor Christ in your heart because your blessing and your reward is great. Now this brings to mind the story I heard uh, recently. A couple, two of our elders went to uh, a hard place in, in India. I think this was actually last year. And they were doing some, some training for, for all these young guys, essentially young pastors and missionaries, evangelists. And um, they, they were just seeing explosive growth. I'm talking like tens of thousands of people come to faith in hard areas. And so our elders went over there and did some, some pastoral training for these guys. And they, they asked them a question. So they're in this kind of this, this underground secret meeting, right? In this hotel somewhere. And they got all these guys packed into this room and our elders ask them like, and they say, how many of you guys have, have physically suffered, have been persecuted because of your faith in Jesus? And they said like one by one, they just started standing up, man, and they started lifting up their shirts and they got all these bruises and broken bones and stitches on their face. Some of them had just gotten out of the hospital and these are like badges of honor for these guys. They were so proud that they were counted worthy to suffer for Jesus. It was a great source of pride for them. And they couldn't wait to go back out. I mean, I'm talking about absolutely no fear of men. Zero fear of men. Well, how is that? What do they have that we don't have? Why are we so afraid that someone might reject us and it's gonna hurt our little feelings? And then we got brothers and sisters in Christ that are out there getting their bodies chopped down and they, they cannot wait to go out and proclaim the kingdom of Jesus again. Well, I think one of the things that's happening is they understand passages like 1 Peter and other passages like it much better than we do. Sometimes it's, we, ha we have the same intellectual knowledge, but it's never really dripped down into our hearts and our souls. We've never really internalized these truths about a coming kingdom of God, about a reward, about an inheritance that we have so much to look forward to that nothing in this life could ever take away from us. For some of us, we need to get that out of our brains and down into our hearts like our brothers and sisters who are living in hard places. Because the reality is, though we suffer now, our reward is great in the kingdom of Jesus. And we have much to learn, friend, from our brothers and sisters in hard places. This brings to my mind the teaching of Jesus that's recorded in Matthew chapter 10. This, I just wanna read this to you. This is Jesus speaking. He says this, and do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, Fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for one penny? And not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. But even the hairs of your head are all numbered. And so, fear not, therefore, you are of more value than many sparrows. Jesus himself says to his disciples, to those who would come after him, don't fear men. Jesus goes, all they can do is kill your body. That's all they got? That's all they can do is, is kill your body and you get to go, come into my kingdom and my glory forever? That's all they got on you? Why would you ever fear them? 
You don't fear men. No, you, you fear and you honor the one who can not just kill the body, but can cast the soul into an eternity separated from your creator forever. And Jesus says, you live for him. You live for him. You, you honor him because he is a good father. He's even got the, the number of hairs on your head counted. You know that he even, he even cares for the sparrows, for the birds that are sold for a penny in the market. And he loves you far more than he ever cares for or loves those little sparrows. And so live for him and honor him. Live fearlessly for Jesus in a sometimes hostile world. Now, how do we do that? How do we do that? And Peter tells us, he says, listen, you replace fear of man with honor of Christ in your heart. That's what you do. You replace those, those fears of man where those thoughts creep in, like, man, I don't really want to do that because what if they reject me or what if they think I'm weird or what if he breaks up with me or what if I lose my job or what if, what if this happens? And, and, and Peter says, no, 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 no. You take those fears and you replace those with love and honor for Jesus in your heart. And then halfway through verse 15, Peter closes out with one final encouragement and I think it's one that we all desperately need to hear, especially in the time and the culture in which we live today. Listen to what Peter says to these Christians who are suffering in ways that most of us probably will never suffer in our lives. This is what he says to them. Always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you, and yet do it with gentleness and respect. Having a good conscience so that not when, but so that when you are slandered, abused, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. For it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. Now here's what Peter is saying. Christian, as we live a life of doing good works, and as we learn how to embrace suffering, not as a curse from God, but actually as a pathway to blessing in the kingdom of God, as we learn to live our life with fear of no man, people are gonna have questions. As we learn to live this distinctly unique life that is so countercultural, when we really learn to live this life, when we're constantly doing good to those around us, even those who persecute us and, and harm us and wound us, and when we learn to, to do that, when we learn to embrace suffering, like, yeah, bring it on, God. What are, you, what are you doing in my life right now? I know that you're gonna bring good out of this circumstance. We have no fear of men. We just live bold, fearless lives. People are just gonna start having questions. Like, man, what is, what is going on with that person? How is it that people bless them and do evil to them? And yet they respond with love and gentleness and compassion. What's the deal with these people? How can they react so differently? What's the source of their kindness and their love, even in the face of suffering, ridicule, ridicule and persecution? Now notice what Peter says here. He says, he says, always be ready. Not sometimes, not on Sunday morning, not on Tuesday night when you meet with your small group. He says, always be ready to give the reasons for the hope within you to anyone. Right? Not just your Christian buddies or the people that are gonna find it culturally acceptable or they're gonna agree with your message. He says, always be ready to give the hope within to anyone. Always, anyone, anywhere. That's basically what he's saying. In other words, friends, we should just have Jesus on our lips in the course of everyday life. He should just, he should just be on our lips. 
We should talk as openly and freely about him as we do our favorite restaurant or the movie that we watched last week that we really liked or our favorite type of food or whatever it is. He should just be a constant source of conversation on our list. We ought to, listen, Christian, we ought to wake up every single morning of our lives ready and expecting to get to tell somebody about the hope within us. That ought to just be like a daily expectation for us. Like, God, who are you going to cross my path with today that I'm going to share some hope with? Who, who in my life needs a little bit of hope? Who in my life needs just a little bit of good news because I got that for them? I got this hope within me. Now, understand the, the, the Greek word that Peter uses there when he says, be prepared to make a defense. It's actually the Greek word apologia. All right, now, we, from that word, we get our word apologetics. And some have taken that to mean that we should all become apologetic experts, um, kind of just awesome doctrinal trained theological giants before we ever share our faith. Now look, I, I think um, apologetics, man, and by the way, apologetics is just kind of the, the defense of the Christian faith. I think that that, that kind of thing definitely has an important role in the church. I think it's important, but I don't think that Peter means here that everyone should like go to seminary and be able to defend the faith like Rabbi Zechariah or William Lane Craig before they open their mouths and share Jesus with somebody. In fact, I think what Peter is saying here, he has in mind a very simple sharing of hope with other people. You don't have to go to seminary to do what Peter's talking about here. You don't have to be a kind of a theological giant and have everything kind of ordered in your mind right or have all the Bible figured out or have all the spiritual answers to everybody's questions before you go and share your faith. This is a very simple sharing of hope with other people that Peter has in mind here. Because remember who Peter's writing to. Peter's not writing to a group of seminary professors or theologians our, our veteran missionaries who have served in the Middle East and Africa for 20 or 30 years, or pastors, he's writing to everyday, normal Christians who are suffering in Asia Minor. He's writing to people a lot like you and me, just, just normal folks. And I think what Peter is saying here is, don't wait until you have it all figured out before you open your mouth and share the hope that Jesus has given you. Don't wait for the perfect opportunity. Like, you're, you're just, if you, listen, if you're out there and you're waiting for all the stars to align, you're, you're out in a park somewhere and you're reading your Bible and a group of people just come up to you and say, oh, we see that you're reading the Bible. Can you tell me about your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and how we can follow him? Can, can you, if you're waiting for that perfect opportunity, that perfect person, and that perfect time, listen, all of, that, all of that may happen for you, but chances are, in my experience, it doesn't happen that way. And if we're being honest, a lot of us use those circumstances or those perfect circumstances not happening in our lives as an excuse not to do what Peter's telling us every Christian ought to do. And so I just, I want you to understand this morning, you don't have to be a Bible scholar. You don't have to be an apologetics expert in the faith to share the hope that you have. This is a very simple thing. In fact, I'd argue it's so simple that many of us miss opportunities every single day of our lives. And I think what Peter is saying here is look for natural opportunities in your everyday life to be a hope giver. Look for natural opportunities in your everyday life to be a giver of hope. So when your classmate or your coworker 
share something with you that's really tough, you can just say to them something like, man, I, yes, that is, that's so tough. I'm so, I'm so sorry that you're going through something like this. And can, can I just share with you, like I, I went through a really difficult season in my life as well. And can I just share with you where I found hope? I found my hope in a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. And I, th I think maybe you could find some hope there as well. Right? You, don't, you don't have to be weird about it. You don't have to be pushy about it. This is not coming from a place of superiority or arrogance. As we say around here, man, we are, we are just beggars telling other beggars where we found the bread, right? There's no arrogance here. Just beggars telling other beggars where we found the bread. So being a hope giver is really simple and yet really important for those of us who claim the name of Jesus, who claim to be followers of him. But here's the deal, even though it's simple, even though you don't have to be a theologian to do it, we do have to be willing to open our mouths. We do have to be willing to open our mouths because people can't read our minds. And we have to be willing to share the hope that is within us. And that's the last truth. Truth number four, believer, prepare to be a hope giver. Prepare yourself to be a hope giver in the natural rhythms and courses of your life. And notice what Peter says. He says, do this with gentleness and respect. So not arrogantly, with anger in our voices or on our fingertips on social media. He says, do this with gentleness and kindness and respect. Do you know what I think is one of the biggest turnoffs to the unbelieving world around us? Maybe the biggest turnoff to the unbelieving world around us. It's arrogant and angry religious people. Angry and arrogant religious people. And I see this all the time, man. People who would claim to be Christians, just they're on social media, just, just railing away on people. And politicians and people who have a different worldview than them, just chopping people down with their words and demeaning people and demanding their rights, which is the opposite of what Jesus taught. And the opposite of what all of his disciples taught. No, friend, if we love and follow Jesus, we are to lace our speech with gentleness, kindness, and respect. Because here's what, here's what I've learned over the years. It is, it is possible to win an argument and lose the person. It is possible to win an argument and lose the person. When I was younger, especially in my 20s, I would, I would spend hours on these online forums just debating atheists and people who had different worldviews and and I got to where I was, I was pretty good. I could kind of dismantle most of their arguments and I could pose questions that they really had no answer for. And I, I felt like I, I really was pretty good. I, like I could win a lot of arguments with these people who thought they were really smart but had a different worldview with me. But here's the thing. Do you know how many of them I won into the kingdom of God? Zero. Zero. All that argument, all that time, all that, all that, using all that knowledge that I had to dismantle people, I won zero people into the kingdom of Jesus, none. What Peter is saying here, I think, is our tone oftentimes authenticates or invalidates our message. Our tone, it's not the content necessarily, our tone oftentimes either authenticates or invalidates our message. And so what he's saying is, Christian, be prepared. And do it with gentleness and love and respect in your voice. But be prepared nonetheless. So I would just ask you, if you're watching this, what are the things that you find most compelling about Jesus? You don't have to have 18 doctrines and 44 theological principles. What are two or three things in your life that you find compelling about Jesus? 
and just be prepared to share those things, right? Maybe, maybe for you, Jesus rescued you from an addiction or from depression, or maybe Jesus gave you peace in a period of your life when you had no peace, or maybe you found that Jesus was actually the antidote to your guilt and the shame in your life. Maybe he helped restore your marriage. I don't know what it is for you, but find just, just a couple of things that you find most compelling about Jesus and then be prepared to share that hope within you. And listen, you can do it. You can absolutely do it. You don't wanna know how I know you can do it? This is how. You have the same Holy Spirit of God living with you. If you're a follower of Jesus, if you're a Christian, the same Holy Spirit within you that raised Jesus from the dead. You have access to all of that power. You have access to the, the same Holy Spirit that empowered Peter, the guy that wrote this letter, right? The, the coward who denied Jesus three times right before he was crucified, empowered the same dude, the same coward to stand up on Pentecost and preach the first Christian sermon in front of thousands of people and saw 3,000 people come to faith in Jesus. You have the same spirit, access to the same power all the saints throughout history have had. But Peter's saying you need to be prepared. You need to be prepared. Find those things that you find most compelling about Jesus, things that give you hope about him, and then be fearless when opportunity comes. Don't shirk back. Don't be afraid. Instead, honor Christ in your heart. Share the hope within. Christian, listen. We have an everlasting hope. We have an everlasting hope. And listen to me, our hope is not in a coronavirus vaccine. And I, I hope we get one of those soon, but that's not where our hope lies. And our hope is certainly not in the next presidential election. And our hope is not in a perfect life devoid of any problems or suffering or pain. Our hope is in a coming king who has redeemed us and set us free and who has promised us a glorious inheritance and reward in the life to come. And that, my friend, is a hope worth sharing. If you're watching this and you've never taken that initial step, you've never just kind of taken that step of courage to say, yeah, I wanna know this God, not just about him. I don't wanna just study about him intellectually and, and know things about him, but I actually want to enter into a relationship with him and let him speak into my life and fill me with his spirit and guide me in life so that I can live these, this kind of incredible life where I can actually bless those who curse me. I can live this life of, of doing good and, and being afraid of no one and sharing the hope within me with everyone who might have a question. If that's you and you're just like, man, ugh, like I, I want this, man. I want, Chris, I hear you and I want that life. I'm tired of trying to chase these things on my own. Like I want that life. I wanna know my creator and my purpose. I wanna find my joy in him and his mission for my life. If that's you, if you have questions or you're ready to take that step across that threshold of faith, please reach out and let us know. Take that first courageous step. Let us know. Send us an email. Drop us a line. If you're tuned in, there are uh, service hosts on every platform that you're watching on. Drop them a line. Let them know, hey, I wanna, I wanna talk about this. And we would love to talk with you about what it would mean for you to trust and follow Jesus. Let's pray, and then we're gonna sing. Father, thank you for not wasting our suffering in this life. <laughs> Father, thank you for leveraging our suffering for, for our good, ultimately, and for your glory as well in your kingdom, God. Would you, would you help us to do 
what Peter is talking about here. And this is, this is God, we confess this is hard. We confess we, we cannot do this on our own. We cannot just live our lives instinctively of, of doing good to others, just saturating our life with good work so that others could see you through our actions, God. Please teach us to do that. Please teach us to embrace suffering, to embrace it, to, to suffer well, realizing that there's a blessing on the other side when we suffer for good, God. Would you teach us to, to fear no one? Teach us that we have, we have, as your children, as your sons, as your daughters, we have nothing at all ever to fear on this planet. Nothing. Our eternity, our reward is secure forever with you in eternity, God. And Father, would you help us prepare ourselves to be hope givers. And people look at our lives and they have questions that we can step in and we can point them to the source of all hope, which is you, Jesus. We ask and we pray all these things in his marvelous name, the name of Jesus, amen.